0: for checking out this message from Spring Mountain. For more information about us and what we do visit our website springmountcf.co.uk or join us every Sunday from 11am at Abbey Road in Barrow in Furness If you would like us as a church to pray for you then please email prayer at springmountcf.co.uk Nice to see you, to see you turn to somebody near to you and say, you're looking pretty hot this morning. (laughs) Now try and convince them that you really meant that. (laughs) If you'd been in the reception in Strange Ways prison that day, you'd have seen the officer writing down those details for yourself. That morning, I'd appeared at Manchester Crown Court, courtroom one, the Serious Crimes Court. Judge Jelland had been the judge. If you saw him in the street, you couldn't miss him. He was three foot six, 29 stone, and he had the head the size of a rhino on steroids. He'd sent me down on drugs-related charges you can imagine I was gutted. I was taken to strange ways, crammed up in a prison van or a sweatbox, as prisoners call it. I was then marched to the reception and patted down. There was an officer at the counter in the reception whose job it was to take down new prisoners' details. You should have seen him. He was smart, stern, and he had a face that looked like he'd been sucking on lemons. He wrote down my name, my address, and my date of birth. And then he wrote down the details of my scars. He wrote down the details of my marks. And then he wrote down the details of my dodgy tattoos. I was then strip searched, given my prison clothes, and then another sour-faced officer put me into the holding cell. So here I am now, stripped of all my dignity, thinking, oh no, here I am again. And behind prison bars with nothing except my scars, my marks, and my dodgy tattoos. Way, way back in Bible times, there was a guy on the scene called Solomon. Solomon was streetwise. In fact, so much of what he said was that wise that it was compiled into short, snappy sentences and put into a life manual. The Bible, they're called Proverbs. Here's one of them. I applied my heart to what I observed, learned lessons from what I saw. Scars, marks, prison bars and dodgy tattoos. What can we learn from these? Here are four lessons for you to take away. Number one, scars show that you can come through. The officer in the reception in strange ways wrote down the details of my scars. And I know It's not just me who's got scars. Raise your hand if you've got a scar. See, most of us, if not all of us, have got a scar or two. Do you know how you get a scar? As soon as your skin gets cut, your body starts to produce more of a protein called collagen. And what collagen does, it builds up around the area of the skin that's been damaged and it strengthens and heals the skin, which leaves a scar. How amazing is that? There's a verse in God's manual that says, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. See, God inbuilt built collagen into your original design, so that when you get cut, your body goes through a process that repairs the damage, and you end up with a scar. See, scars show that you can come through. I got most of my scars when I was a kid. Does that- I've got some scars, little scars on my ear from when I was attacked by a big Alsatian guard dog called Snapper. (laughs) I was 11 at the time. Back then, I used to build push bikes out of old bike parts. Did you ever do that, guys? Once, I built a chopper. It wasn't a proper chopper. Raise your hand if you remember choppers. Well, mine wasn't a proper chopper. Mine was my own version of a chopper. You should have seen it. It had a little wheel at the front and a big wheel at the back. It had three lots of forks welded together to make them longer. I had eight eight and handlebars on it with coloured tassels hanging out of the end. Twelve mirrors on it. You should have seen me riding down our street. A lot like Henry Fonda out of that classic sixties film, Easy Rider. The one thing that I didn't have for my, for my chopper, though, was a banana seat. There were two dear. I thought, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to make one. My Uncle Judd had a yard in Salford. He was one of my real uncles. Raise your hand if you had lots of aunties and uncles that weren't really your aunties and uncles. My Uncle Judd was my mama's brother. And he was the one in the family who'd done really well for himself. He had his fingers in all kinds of pies, and one of the ways that he used to make money was to make wooden pallets. So he had a big bus saw down at his yard that cut really straight. So I got some wood, marked it all out, and I went down to my uncle Judd's. There was a guy who worked for Judd called Fagash Bill. He run the yard. Bill wore a beanie at Dungarees, and he always had a fag hanging out at the corner of his mouth. Fagash Bill was all right. He'd cut wood for me before. I said, Bill, will you cut this wood for me, mate? What are you making now? I'm making a banana seat for me chopper. Okay then, give it here. He takes the wood, goes to the machine, turns it on and starts cutting. The next minute, Billy's big Alsatian guard dog appeared from behind a pile of pallets, sniffing. You should have seen its head. It had bent teeth, half an ear and a wonky eye. It looked up at me, growled and beeline towards me, barking, it jumped up, sunk its teeth into my ear, knocked me to the ground. Billy came over, pulled the dog away, blood was everywhere. He took me to hospital and I had stitches. Two days later, Fagash Bill came round to our house. I'm sorry about the other day, Barry. That was my fault, I should have had Snapper tied up. He said, listen, how much is a banana seat in the shop? I said, 25 quid. He said, I tell you what, he pulled out his wallet, pulls out 25 quid. There you go, go and buy one. So I went and bought a red banana seat with a backrest result. <laughs> so now I had a banana seat for my chopper, but I ended up with scars on my ear. These scars for me, though, show that I can come through. See, the collagen did its work. Scars show that you can come through. What about your scars? Think about them. Scars, marks, prison bars and dodgy tattoos. Scars show that you can come through. Number two, marks don't have to define you. The officer in the reception in strange ways wrote down the details of my marks. See, sometimes on our journey, incidents happen and they put marks on us. And it's these marks that can end up defining us. You can imagine that using drugs put marks on me. And these marks that define me. If you'd have looked at my medical records back in the day, you'd have seen it. Drug addict. It was Dr. Khan who put it there. He was one of our doctors in Neum. He was bent as a 9 bob note. You should have seen him. He had a comb over, an unped back, and he walked his head to one side. A really good-looking guy. (laughs) He became such a big part in my life that I drew a stick picture of him on the wall in our flat of him sat at his desk, bent over, writing out a script, as if he was my pin-up madness. That's how bad I'd got. It was my first appointment with him. The first time that I'd met him, that's when he wrote drug addict on my medical records. See, the marks on me had defined me. It wasn't until I had a redefining moment in a church when this all changed. Five weeks before, I'd moved to the outskirts of Manchester in a little flat on my own. I needed to get away from some people, if you know what I mean. And then, throughout a 10 day period, I met three people. All of them were Christians. One of them invited me to church, so I went. I was sat there that Sunday morning thinking these guys are all basket cases, waving flags around, banging tambourines. I'm thinking I came in here to get away from people who were on drugs. And it looks like this lot are off it on drugs. The guy gets up to speak, he said, We believe in a God who can heal. Is there anybody in this room with any issues? I'm thinking, is he having a laugh? Got more issues than vogue. If you want to be prayed for for anything, come to the front. I got out of my seat and I walked to the front and I was prayed for. And he had a light bulb moment. After that day, I soon learned how God defines me. He says that I'm a new creation. And that I'm a child of God and I'm a member, that I'm a member of God's very own family and that I'm his masterpiece. So now with God on my case, my marks don't have to define me, not anymore. You take a look at my medical records now. There's been no notes put on there related to drug use for 23 years. See, marks don't have to define you. What about you? Have you got marks on you that's defined you? Maybe you've got marks on your body or you could have marks someplace else. Maybe an incident's happened to you and it's put marks on your character or your emotions or your heart. Listen, whatever your marks may be, you need to know that from where God's standing with him on your cage, your marks don't have to define you. Scars, marks, prison bars and dirty tattoos. Scars show that you can come through. March that have to define you. Or number three, prison bars don't need to restrain you. The other sour faced officer in the reception in Strange Ways put me into the holding cell behind prison bars. Do you know that we can all find ourselves behind prison bars? See, not all prison bars are physical, your prison bars could be a bad upbringing. A bad education or a bad experience. For most of us, it's things like these that restrain us. It's these kind of prison bars that hold back our potential. Raise your hand if you know what I mean. They held mine back. But you know, now they don't. There's a guy in the Bible called Isaiah. He says that God sets the prisoner free. Listen, prison bars don't need to restrain you. My potential was held back right from the off. When I was at school... I didn't do any work, I just messed around. Oh, if you want to know more about my story, it just so happens that I've got my book with me, Once an Addict. In 2007, when my book came out, we started a project to raise funds to send a copy of that to every prisoner in the country. Right now, there's 84,000 prisoners behind bars in the United Kingdom. We've sent 75,000 copies of that out free of charge. No, actually, 45,000, just 45,000, it's still a lot. (laughs) 45,000. And there's one small way that you can support that for every one copy of one scenario you buy, we then send two into prisons for free. And all the proceeds from the other bits on the table, the CDs and DVDs, all that goes into the trust that I run and that helps us do our prisons work because we don't get any funding for that. But at school, I just messed around. I'll ask you, we know qualifications. The only thing that I took with me was a bronze swimming certificate and a coat took that I made in metalwork. The lads in our class used to call me a bungalow. Why? Because I didn't have much upstairs. <laughs> the light was on, but there was nobody home. Have you got the picture? So you can imagine how I felt years later after I'd given God consent to come in when I turned up at Cliff College, everybody was dead posh. Then I turns up nice one, top, one, sorted, bang out of order. <laughs> In it. Everybody was educated, but me, I could barely string a sentence together. I remember that first week well. One of the tutors took us on a tour around the college. He took us into a room full of computers. He said, Is there anybody here who's not familiar with IT? I've been in IT, in it, for years. (laughs) Didn't have a clue. During that first week, we were assigned to our house groups. House groups, radical idea, groups of people that meet in houses. The house group leader gave us a small piece of paper. He said, what I want you all to do, I want you to write out your hopes and fears for the coming year. I thought, that's too small. I'm gonna need a pad. (laughs) I sat on the floor and I scribbled down, we wrote a letter to ourselves and and I scribbled down my hopes and fears for the coming year. When we'd all finished, we put it into an envelope, sealed it, wrote our names on the front and we gave them back to the house group leader. The next time I saw this was on graduation day. I'd never graduated anywhere anywhere before. Not graduated nowhere. I've been out of prison a few times. That's the nearest I'd been. After graduation, I went to my room, opened the door. There was an envelope on the floor. What's that? I bent down, picked it up. It had my name on the front, my handwriting. Then it dawned on me that this was the letter that I wrote to myself that first week at college. I sat on the bed, ripped open the envelope and took the letter out. And read it this is the microsoft word spelling and grammar check edited version dear barry comma the wonders of technology i am writing this letter to tell you what my hopes and fears are for the coming year i hope i can learn better english both in written and spoken in it i hope i can learn more about god i hope they accept me onto the second year course. My fear is academic work. My fear is I may not have enough enough knowledge. This is only a small piece of paper, signed, Barry. As I read it, I got a bit emotional because here I was now, i just graduated my first year at college and I was one of the highest smart students. And I'd done my English GCSE, and I'd learned all about it. (laughs) And I'd just been given a prize for the best New Testament student. And to top it off, they moved me from the one-year foundation course to the three-year degree course. See, I gave God consent to come in. And then he released that potential out of me. See, prison bars don't need to restrain you. What about you? Think about those prison bars that sell you back. Listen, whatever those prison bars may be for you, God can liberate you. He can release that potential out of you. Listen, prison bars don't need to restrain you. Scars marks, prison bars and dodgy tattoos. Scars show that you can come through. Marks do have to define you, prison bars don't need to restrain you. And number four, dodgy tattoos can be removed. The officer in the reception, in strange ways, wrote down the details of my dodgy tattoos. Have you got dodgy tattoos? If you have, you're my kind of person. I've seen them all! The Glock gun tattooed on the prisoner's arm with the words out of the Bible underneath it. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. So that's what that verse means. Made in Eccles tattooed around my schoolmate's belly button. Love and hat tattooed on my mate's fingers. He hadn't put you on the end of hate. No rugrats on somebody's neck. Regret spelt wrong. See, I've seen all kinds of dodgy tattoos. I've got dodgy tattoos. The officer in the reception in Strange Rays wrote the details down. If you looked at my arms like he did, you'd see them. You'd see my dodgy good look tattoo that, that Sas Cooper in Caddy's head did. It didn't work. I had nothing but bad luck after this. And then you'd see my dodgy cannabis leaf tattoo that Billy the Hippie did. He did this in his mate's studio, using his rusty wobbly tattoo gun. And then you see my other dodgy cannabis leaf tattoo, that Steve in Manchester did, he was a speed freak, he was off his head when he did it, it took him 39 seconds to do. (laughs) These are the ones on my arms that you'd see. And then there's my other dodgy tattoos, the ones on my hand. The officer in the reception in Strangeways knew not about these because I didn't do them until I was six months into that sentence. And I must admit, these were a massive mistake. They'd shipped me out from Strangeways to Preston, and I was in a cell with a guy called Peter. Peter had dark hair, brown eyes, and he was an easy guy to do time with. You can imagine, some of you know, when you're in prison, you miss your girlfriend. I said, Peter, I'm missing my bird. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to do a tattoo because I want her to know that I love her. He said, mate, I'm missing my bird. Will you do me a tattoo as well? Yeah, of course I will, mate. (laughs) So I got a needle and some cotton from the mailbag shop. I got some water-based paints from one of the lifers. And then I did our tattoos. They were proper dodgy. If you'd, have seen, if you'd have been in our cell that night, you'd have seen me do it. I did the name Nikki, his girlfriend's name, at the top of his arm. The letters were different sizes. And it wasn't straight. It didn't look right. But I convinced him it did. <laughs> Looks great, that makes you going to be well chuffed when she sees that. Do you think so? Yeah. <laughs> and then I did some asterisk stars on my hand. Because I wanted to be different. And then I did the name Lisa on my finger. I love you, Lisa. I didn't know then, though, that years later I was going to marry a girl called Tina. (laughs) That's when I knew that these were a massive mistake. So I decided to have them removed. I Googled it tattoo removal. They were all over the place. Interesting names, too laser rays, holier than thou. Clean start. I clicked on laser rays. That'll do. It's near me. They use laser treatment to remove dodgy tattoos. It's an interesting process. You sit in a chair with your dark glasses on, with your arm in an armrest. The guy doing the treatment sits in his chair with his dark glasses on. And he picks up like a little, it's like a little wet, looks like a small welding gun made out of plastic though. Attached to a big machine, he's got his foot in in a pedal and he he puts the, the gun to your hand and he presses the pedal and as he presses the pedal, it fires laser rays into your skin. And as the rays penetrate your skin, they disturb the ink and eventually your skin gets clean. Look, no more ink. See, dodgy tattoos can be removed. Some of you have got dodgy tattoos like me. But you know, in a way, we've all got dodgy tattoos. So you may not have tattoos on your skin, but I know that we have all made mistakes, haven't we? Titus in the Bible says that we've all made many mistakes. Raise your hand if you are perfect. See, nobody is holier than thou. God knows this. That's why you came. 2,000 years ago, 2,000 miles away, God became a man. His name is Jesus. And he came to this earth and he was tempted just like you, but he resisted. At the age of 33, he allowed himself to be nailed to a cross to take the rat for you. And when you give him consent to come in, he gets busy and he erases away your past faults. He erases away your past flaws. And he erases away your past failures. Why? Because God is a great laser eraser. He removes your ink. He removes your mistakes. And he gives you a clean start. But he needs your consent to come in. Once I was a private taxi driver in Salford. I would practice DJing on my Technics 1200s. All day long, whizzing off my head on amphetamine. And I'd record a mixtape. For the younger ones, a tape is the first version of an MP3. I'd take that mixtape with me to work at night. And I'd listen to it over and over and over again. I was known as the raving taxi driver. Early hours one morning, I thought, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to Mossai to the front to score some weed. I pulled up at the front, music blaring, head nodding up and down like an hyperactive nodding dog. Window open a bit. Guy comes to me window, have you got any weed? He looked around, he could see I was off my head and he pulled a knife out of his jacket and he stuck it through the window. He said, take me to Wally Range. Didn't know what to do, grab the knife, let him in. And then I imagine the Manchester Evening News the next morning. Raving taxi driver stabbed to death while listening to a mixtape over and over again. Didn't fancy that. So I let him in. And he forced me to drive him to Wally Range. God will never do that to you. He will never force his way in. No, instead, he stands there and waits for you to give him consent. And right now, God, is stood outside your life. He's waiting with his laser gun. He wants to remove your ink. He wants to remove your mistakes. He's ready to give you a clean start, but you need to give him consent to come in. I'm gonna finish by taking us back to the place where we started the reception in Strange Ways prison. That morning I'd been sent down by Judge Jelland. I was taken to Strange Ways in a sweat box. I was marched to the reception and patted down. The officer sat at the counter at the reception, it looked like he'd been sucking on lemons. He took my details down, and then the other sour-faced officer put me into the ordering cell. Oh no! Here I am again. Scars, marks, prison bars and dodgy tattoos. Today we've taken a leaf out of Solomon's book to see what we can learn from these. Please stand. Right now, God is stood outside your life and he wants to come in. He wants to be like college into you. He's ready to give you a clean start, but you need to give him consent. I'm going to pray a prayer. There are two groups of people going to pray this prayer with me. The first group are those people who have never prayed a prayer, you have never given God consent to come in. It could be that you've been coming to this church for a while. I was speaking in Macclesfield, and after the end, I was chatting with people around my table, and this guy came up, he said, you know what, I've been coming to this church for two years and nobody's ever told me you need to give God consent to come in. And tonight, I have done and I feel different. That could be you, it could be that you've never been told that you need to give God consent to come in. So the first group of those people who have never prayed a prayer, you've never given God consent to come in, it could be that you're part of the youth group and you come in because you've got friends and you're enjoying it and that's great, keep coming, keep doing that. But you need to make a decision for yourself. So the first group are those people who have never prayed a prayer. You're going to pray this prayer to give God consent to come in. The second group are those people, you have prayed a prayer. You've started your Christian journey, but you know that right now, you're not living how God wants you to live. The Bible says there's no condemnation for you, by the way. But you need to pray this prayer and get back on track. And God will forgive and forget. And then you can leave this place and you can just crack on with the rest of your Christian journey. Those two two groups of people are going to pray this prayer with me. And everybody else, you make up the third group, you're going to pray to encourage the first group and the second group. Are we ready? All three groups repeat after me. Dear God, I come to you today and I admit that I'm not perfect. God, I ask that you forgive me for all my faults, for all my flaws, and for all my failures. God, I ask that you wipe my slate clean because right now I'm opening my door and I'm giving you consent to come in. God, I ask that you be like collagen to me and that you give me a clean start.